The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. And Sean Martin and I are joined by Zig Fricasi from Sirius XM NFL Radio Channel 88. Zig, how are you doing? Mark, Sean, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Great to have another Cowboys fan represented here on the show. And a lot, a lot to get to uh, throughout the NFL with the combine going on in Indianapolis right now. Yeah, the first thing... I just want to go ahead and, and just dive right into it. Zig, I imagine that you have been following this team since, let's say, at least since Danny White was the starting quarterback. And I, you've also been in the sports media as well, so you're pretty familiar with the Joneses. Did you really expect Stephen Jones to say anything differently at the combine about free agency and roster construction? I didn't. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, at this particular point, because obviously we're looking ahead to, you know, next week where you got the deadline for franchise tags and that kind of thing. So I I think after they, you know, get done evaluating the prospects and doing their due diligence at the combine, there's going to be some tough decisions that are going to need to be made. And obviously when you look at the Cowboys, are they going to, you know, keep Amari Cooper around? Do they want to free up money with him? Seemed as though maybe he was being a little bit phased out last year. I know Tank Lawrence was hurt for a good portion of the year and was okay when he came back, but you know, there's going to be a decision need to be made on him. Randy Gregory finally stayed focused, stayed relatively healthy and we saw what he's capable of bringing so you wonder in his particular case you know if he goes on the market you know does he give jerry and steven the hometown discount so uh there's going to be some tough decisions obviously that need to be made and you know again with Gallup, uh here's a guy with uh you know coming off an acl injury you know is he still in their future or does he wind up leaving you know, they had some of these other young receivers. Cedric Wilson immediately comes to mind who stepped up. So maybe they think uh, they could be a little more cost efficient there. So it'll be interesting to see what Dallas ultimately does with the free agency. I mean, the years of Deion Sanders and some of those big free agents, that's done. If Dallas does anything, it'll probably be sort of middle of the roadish in terms of free agents like they did last year. They brought in a bunch of guys and like KZ and Neil and they worked out good, you know. Uh, Urban unfortunately got hurt. I'd be intrigued to see how he is, but uh, maybe that's the route Dallas goes once again in 2022. Yeah, it's interesting. We haven't seen like their team building approach kind of come to a point like this in a long time, and yet their tone still hasn't changed because they've always been about you know telling us they're going to prioritize their own free agents, and usually that's meant you know kind of middle tier to bottom of the roster guys that you can get at a value and. Any of those big name guys have been, you know, their contracts have been signed before they hit free agency. But now you have all these really big names that you just rattled off there, all hitting it at the same time. And yet, you know, Steven is still kind of saying the same things. And I don't know if they have to change their approach to sign these guys. They just have to find a way to navigate another tight uh, cap situation because, you know, you should like, you'd sort of like to have some of them back when it comes to 
a boy well, you Gregory. Well, absolutely, Sean. But and then let's not forget too. You got to think. Uh, Dak is going to be up for a restructure, so they'll spread some of that money around. You know, is Zeke going to be 100% healthy? If they keep him, they spread money around with him. So there are some options that I'm sure, you know, both uh, Jerry and Steven are considering down the road here. So, um, you know, again, it's going to be interesting to see ultimately where Dallas goes. You know, are they married to the Kellen Moore system? And if that's the case, we saw... Cooper being kind of phased out last year. So, I don't know. This is going to be very, very intriguing to see unless, like I say, maybe Dallas has got a, another wide receiver gem we don't know about, uh, although I don't see them going that way in the in the draft this year, at least in the first round. Bring back Malik Turner. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he made some nice plays, but, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah, but that's kind of the issue is you don't want to – regress to where your passing attack is like it was in 2018 where uh, you've got Alan Hearns who you signed <laughs> and Michael Gallup that you drafted and you're hoping that it just comes together and in this wide receiver by committee just is elevated by Dak Prescott's play because Prescott wasn't at that level yet where he could do that do you want to chance that again was he getting guys open like Malik Turner and everything because of the coverage that Amari Cooper was dictating. Because the whole offense changed really in 2018 once Amari Cooper was brought to the Cowboys. Uh, I do think that with Stephen Jones' approach, it's kind of, it's an overcorrection to the things that we saw in – the 1990s through the mid 2000s where Jerry would go get free agents, big name free agents. And they just, maybe they panned out like in, I would say in the case of a Terrell Owens, or they didn't pan out as in the case of when they traded for Joey Galloway. And so it, it cost them in terms of being able to stay competitive and you had to go to a, a rebuild and a salary cap hell. So I think that for, for Stephen Jones, that's really going to be his approach all the time. The frustration, I think, for Cowboys fans when they hear Stephen Jones talk about this stuff, which probably in 2022 is apt to, to use this language, but they get frustrated because they had to hear this when Dak Prescott was on a rookie contract. Yeah. And they could afford to sell out and try to go for a big push, say, in 2017. Or if they were smart, you know, they could have locked Dak in at a much more, you know, comparable rate right. in terms of a contract and ultimately forking out, you know, the AAV of, what, $40 million a year. So maybe they were a little laggard in that particular approach, too. But again, like I've said, I think... Uh, uh, he's going to wind up doing a, a restructure to help the cap out and everything like that. And, and to to that point, I thought, you know, the first six, seven games, I thought they were the best offense in the NFL. But I, I honestly believe that game against New England where Dak had that jump pass to CD for the touchdown, the game winner to end that long losing streak against the Patriots, he wasn't the same after that. I mean, he played with that injury all throughout the year, and I think – uh, plus you factor in the injuries that Zeke and also Tony Pollard had. You know, you look at that, and I think maybe there's a thought that if Dak's fully healthy now, had now they would. They announced they had a left shoulder surgery the other day. So um, if he's fully healthy, I don't know. Do they run it back? I think that might be a consideration that uh, Will McClay and the Joneses are considering too. But I, I do see some changes. But again, what they are, Again, it's going to depend on what they do, basically, with Amari Cooper and Demarcus Lawrence and their salaries and their contracts. Yeah, we covered the Patriots game as being a turning point for the whole season on a previous episode of this show, and you know you're so right about that, Zig, in terms of a Bill Belichick defense. You know, you can't say they necessarily figured the Cowboys out because that was the last game where they made big plays in. But beyond that point, yeah, there must have been something on tape that. You know, Kellen Moore, even with a 17-game season from that point on, couldn't adjust to. And we know at this point McCarthy has had to address, you know, why he hasn't stepped in and 
did more to try to help his young coordinator. And so now here we go into year three with, uh, you know, both of them still in place. And all we're talking about is them potentially losing talent around Dak Prescott. Right. But, you know, again, it's, it's a growing process. I think we saw when everything was clicking, how lethal that they could be. But again, I think, I think injuries played part of this. Plus I think the offensive line, which I think they have to address big time at this draft because it's clear that they, that was a problem once again, last year. So again, a lot of variables, I think, go into this. I honestly believe if Dak it doesn't get hurt, you know, and the old line holds up again, if life's ends, candies and nuts, I'll be Merry Christmas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So a lot of variables there to hold. So um, it's not just salaries and money, but again, it's the, 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 you know, the health of the team and which towards the end, it, it wasn't very good. And, you know, also the penalties and all that, but uh that, that was just a fiasco, too. So a lot of things that went right didn't go right the second half of the season. That's why I think it was disappointing, even though the Cowboys doubled, practically doubled their win total from the prior year when they didn't have Dak Prescott. I think people lose a little sight in that, that, you know, last year was this total disaster. You, you doubled your wins. So it's not a disaster. It's just maybe in some ways how the season ended after it started so well. Yeah, and that's something that... I w- want to talk about uh, on another episode is, but we can just take a little look at it now is was 2021 actually the first year with Mike McCarthy because mm-hmm. of how there was no off season program. And yeah. I know Kevin Stefanski and the Browns, they did a great job adjusting to it and winning a playoff game, but w- this was the first time they had an off-season program together. Dak Prescott was fully healthy. So was this what should have happened in 2020 pending, you know, a once-in-a-500-year pandemic doesn't happen and uh, your star quarterback doesn't get hurt? Bingo. Yeah. And you mentioned Stefanski and the Browns. Let's not forget, you know, before he got hurt, Baker Mayfield was doing a pretty nice job with things there in Cleveland now. You know, his future there, it's another story, another time, but it remains to be seen if he's the quarterback there long-term. So I'm with you there, Mark. It's one of these things where this was, I think, the true indicator. I mean, as it was, as 2020 was so gosh-awful, but maybe the worst defense that I've ever seen. And I love Mike Nolan. He's a friend of mine. We did shows together and always teased him about that. But as bad as that defense was, as horrible as the quarterbacking was, they, they could have won the NFC East that year. But unfortunately, they came up short in, in you know the final game. So I, I think 2021 was a, a nice indicator. I, I think now, uh, with Dan Quinn coming back defensively, I think the defense is going to get better. I think they're going to address some things on that side of the ball, maybe get some push. I think it's possible they select a, an end in the first round this year, if they don't go O-line, it'll be D-line. So um, with a few tweaks, you know, hopefully there's no sophomore jinx for Micah Parsons, but they're able to uh, shore up the secondary opposite to Trayvon Diggs. I think they're going to be good to go, at least on that side of the ball, because they showed marked improvement from one year to the next. Yeah, I think we'd all like to, you know, buy into the fact that, you know, Believing that Mike McCarthy's first season was actually this 12-win season, as disappointing as the wild card loss to the 49ers was, but you know, as Mark kind of started addressing there, once you start peeling back the reasons why 2020 wasn't as successful, you know, wasn't even close. You know, it's a lot of things that he has responsibility for in terms of he was the one who wanted to bring in Mike Nolan, and he was the one who had to guide him through these these installs, whether they were virtual on Zoom or you know what have you. He was the one in charge of all of that. And now we're still answering questions and he is at the combine himself about, you know, why he hasn't done more to be more hands-on with certain aspects of the offense and things like that. So, you know, like I said, we'd all love to say that he was a 12 win coach in his first year, but you start looking at why he, why that wasn't the case and why even a 12 win season ended in disappointment. And I think he has, you know, his hands all over it, uh, to be honest. 
Well, that and also, too, now, guys, you're looking at the specter of a certain former New Orleans Saints coach that's on the sideline, too. So, you know, he, he even addressed that this week, saying that um, he wasn't going to let the, you know, the Sean Payton distraction or narrative, whatever he wanted to call it, influence things. But the fact of the matter is it's there. Now, the only way that you're going to be able to, you know, shut out the noise is if one Maybe Peyton signs a long-term deal with Fox or another network. Or number two, you build upon last year, win a playoff game or two, and then you're kept around for a while. So we'll see. I, I think, I, you know, a lot of people are wondering about the, the, you know, the future here, so to speak. To me, I think McCarthy might be in a no-win situation, or maybe he takes a step back and say, you know what, I truly want to keep my job. We got to focus in on a lot of different things. I need to be more hands-on. And if they do those things and win more games and win playoff games, then we don't have this discussion, right? I was going to say, we need to offer Sean Payton a nice comfy chair at the uh, Sirius XM studios to start breaking these, <laughs> breaking these games down with you. We can make that happen, right? Yeah, there you go. Hey, yeah, I'll, even, I'll even buy dinner for him one night. So. Uh, count me in. That is the other fascinating aspect of this and i don't know if mike nolan nolan if mike mccarthy has ever had to deal with this in his past with the green bay packers is in dallas you have kind of shadow coaches and i think there's going to be the biggest one that i can remember in sean payton basically these coaches who the media is always going to pencil in as your replacement and again i don't know that there's really been as big of a shadow coach for the Dallas Cowboys than Sean Payton. And, hey, Zig, even if he has the long-term deal with Fox, remember that Bruce Arians was part of a three-man team with Greg Gumbel and Trent Green for CBS Sports yep. in 2018, and then in 2019 he takes the Bucks job. Oh, that's – yeah, I mean, that's entirely possible. By the way, I actually thought – Bruce Arians, for a guy who never did TV before, I thought was pretty darn good with his, you know, glib commentary and all that. And again, with Sean, it's not like he's not known to the Joneses. From what I understand, they have a very good relationship. But Sean was on the Bill Parcells staff, and he knows what, you know, the sideshow can be. And I know we've had calls on, on my shows on the weekend on Channel 88 and all the different ones is, you know, would would Jerry seed control like Sean wants it? You know, because Sean Payton also had a big-time role in the uh, player personnel. Even though Mickey Loomis was the GM there in New Orleans, Sean had a big say, you know, in terms of player procurement. So you got to wonder, you know, would Jerry sort of relent there? Or would Sean just say, you know what, I've got the itch to coach. Let them do the sideshow. I'll just focus on the field. So... Again, this is going to be one intriguing sideline. I, I always said, you know what? If Parcells would have been smart, which I wouldn't question him on practically anything, but, like, dude, if you knew you were going to leave, you should have named Sean Payton coach and waiting because I, I liked him way back when I thought this guy was sharp, and then, as it turned out, he did a he had a hell of a run there with the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, and that was interesting because in 05, not to go too far back, but don't you remember near like the last three games of the 05 season, Chris Mortensen from ESPN came out with a report that that Parcells was thinking of retiring at the end of the year, and instead uh, he gets an extension and finishes out the season and comes back in 06, and then Sean goes to New Orleans. Yeah, I think you're right. They did blow the chance because when you get a Hall of Fame coach like that to come in and fix your program as, you know, the Cowboys needed, you have to have that. You have to identify the young coaches in waiting, and they they really let the successor get out of the building and Sean. Oh, I agree. You know, and again, like I said, I thought, you know, he was going to turn out to be a pretty darn good coach, and what a way for him you know, to get things started there in New Orleans. You're coming off, you know, that, that devastating Hurricane Katrina. The whole city and the region there is devastated. You know, they had to play games in San Antonio and all that the year before. 
and then you know you're you you're lucky because I guess the because the Dolphins passed up on Drew Brees because they were concerned about his shoulder, so he winds up going to New Orleans. Then you get this innovative mind like Sean Payton, and then all of a sudden, you know, it became this big old rally cry. Saints had a special year there in 2006. A couple years later would ultimately win the Super Bowl and have been a pretty much a perennial power since. So um, I had a hunch Sean, again, would do very well as a head coach. Again, does he get the itch? You know, if the Cowboys start 3-6, and 3-7, and seven, how long do we have till the Sean Payton watch is on? And it'll be real interesting, guys, if he winds up getting a TV deal whenever, if if he gets a Cowboys game, I'd be real intrigued to hear how he does commentary on that. Because you know if he goes pretty critical, then you know, like, hey, you know what? Maybe there's something going on there. But I, I'm just thinking a little bit ahead. But I'm sure once that rolls around, that will be quite the intrigue, too. Well, we're going to get foil S Troy Aikman Cowboys Fox broadcast games now. So someone's got to fill that type of position. And it could be Sean Payton. That, that would quite be interesting uh, to see it out. Do you guys think that, you know, the Payton rumors are going to be more distracting for McCarthy, which is, I guess, the obvious answer, or specifically Kellen Moore, though? Because, you know, to me, McCarthy's already had a couple chances where he's had to deflect things and play this down and, you know, maybe even kind of subvert what he actually thinks about it to, just to get the right messaging out there to the media. And I think he's done a pretty good job of that, you know, the couple of times it's already come up in this short offseason. But to me, you know, Moore isn't that quite household name yet where he's still kind of in the shadows of a former Super Bowl winning coach like McCarthy just trying to call this offense. But every every time the Cowboys offense struggles next year, you know, it's going to inch in like, hey, why isn't Sean Payton calling your plays? Who's this Boise State kid that the Cowboys are letting right. do this instead of uh, Sean Payton? But obviously Payton's not coming here to be the offensive coordinator. He'd have to take McCarthy's job and, you know, they'd both be attached at that point and, would McCarthy take over the play calling from Moore? You know, you can go down that whole rabbit hole if you will. You could, although I, you know, to me, it, it'll be interesting to see. You know, if Mike again, I think because of everything, uh, he knows the pressure's on him, and I think he knows he's got to do a lot of different things, clean up the penalties. You know, more discipline maybe in terms of you know the mental part of the the state of the Cowboys and then also, you know, get, get on the same page with Dan Quinn defensively, get on the same page with Kellen Moore offensively. So I think he knows the, the what what's expected of him. He, he knows it. I mean, he's, he's been, he's been there before people knock him and I've knocked him quite a bit, but you know, the guy has won some big games in the past and hopefully he's going to be able to do so once again. I mean, you hear him talk, He's like, he sounds like he's super intelligent, but it just whatever gets lost in the translation is really kind of mind-blowing. And I, I don't know if that's communication. I don't know if that's a lack of self-awareness. I, I, I really have kind of lost on that, especially with clock management, things like that. But because you, you hear the guy talk, and to me, he sounds pretty damn intelligent. So I don't think it's an intelligence type thing. I just think, Something in the line of game, in the game, in the heat of the battle, something gets lost. That needs to get fixed, among the other things that the Cowboys need to correct going into 2022. I think it's like life, though. When we encounter, I mean, think of how many of your friends, you know, that you just look at them and they're like, gosh, they just always seem to get with... Uh, a bad girl that uh, leaves them and so forth. They just have the worst luck with women. But then it's actually, they invite this. They don't do anything to correct it. The rut, they start to go down the rut and just, there you go. It's kind of like a chaos theory in that the way things start is just the way they're going to go. The way that the tip of a mountain kind of resembles the mountain as a whole, that's just the shape of the mountain. And I wonder if it's like that with McCarthy. If it doesn't go just this certain way, right. uh, he doesn't know how to handle it. Or when it he hasn't figured out 
a way, read a book yet or something to know how to manage what mindset to reach when you get in those late game situations. Um, yeah, the, the end game if, stuff with, or the end game, I should say stuff with him is definitely a huge concern. I mean, there's no doubt. And, yeah. and maybe Aaron Rodgers managed that for him, to be honest with you. That's a great point. You know, yeah, you got a number 12. He, he saved a lot of bacon back in the day in green Bay, didn't he? That's like, I mean, oh, yeah. there's, there's mic'd up audio of Pete Carroll. One of my favorite mic'd up quotes is, you know, basically his entire game plan for every Seahawks game that he's had Russell Wilson, the quarterback for is just finds a way to not mess it up and keep it close until the last two minutes. And then <laughs> yeah. put a bow on it and say, okay, Russell, here's your chance. And if he does it, Carroll goes home happy and everyone, everything's great. And you know, if not, you deflect the blame somewhere else or take the blame, whatever the case may be. And, you know, the Seahawks have had some bad years now with Wilson uh, as well as the Super Bowl years. So, you know, are they going to do the same thing with Prescott or can they get more talent around him? Are they going to lose a bunch of talent around him like we already talked about? That's uh, that's the story of the offseason. I agree. But although, I, you know, and the thing is, again, I, I want to see Dak at full health. You know, again, last year made the great comeback from the ankle injury. You know, but then uh, before the season, he was affected by that shoulder, although he was throwing for over 400 yards against Tampa, so it could have been that bad. But like I said, I think that uh, calf injury really set him and the rest of the team back. I didn't think they had the same mojo. I didn't think they had the same sort of drive. And they looked good in some games. The final game against the Eagles where Philadelphia basically dressed their third-team defense. But, you know, it, that was what it was. But Again, I, I want to see things go in the right direction in terms of better health, better execution, better line play, things like that, mental focus. I still think Dak's going to be – he. Dak is a quarterback that I think they can win with, but it's one of these things, too. I think now, you know, he's going to need to step his game up. He knows what's expected of him, too. And, you know, let's face it, the poor guy has also gone through a whole lot of adversity, especially with the, you know, his mom and, you know, his brother, what happened last year. So young man's been through quite a bit. Maybe this is the kind of year that he could just focus right in on football, enjoy himself, and maybe the finished product turns out to be much, much better. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Would you have been more surprised if McCarthy announced at the Combine that Prescott had a calf procedure as opposed to work on that left shoulder, the non-throwing shoulder? Would I? Hmm, that's a good question. I, I probably wouldn't have because... You know, you knew that that injury affected him throughout the year. And maybe it got to a point where he needed to have a procedure done. But apparently that wasn't the case. But I'm just I'm just curious how ultimately the left shoulder got hurt. Maybe was that a case? I, I don't think it would be him compensating for anything. Again, I'm not there every day. Uh, or it could be just, you know, natural wear and tear, but I, I don't think I would have been surprised if it would have been a left calf, to be honest with you, because maybe then that would have been an indicator that it didn't heal like it should, 
but a procedure in the offseason would have said, all right, then allow it time to heal and be ready for OTAs. Yeah, well, with the way it sounded, it sounded like the left shoulder was kind of a, a it was an irritant, and it was just something that bugged him. Mm and th- that he was having some trouble sleeping because of it, and he just wanted to get it taken care of at this point in the off season, as opposed to try to work through it for another season. Um, and I think that that also tells you his commitment to the team and to getting this thing together, because normally guys get those procedures so they can sit out a little bit of training camp. Right. Uh, but he got it early and got it over with so he can be ready to go for the off-season workouts. Absolutely. And, again, I, I think he's I think he's a good leader. I think he's a class act. And, you know, let's face it, the guy, it's not like he's been totally bad. They've won three division titles with him, and they do have a playoff win. But, obviously, when you're a Cowboys fan and you know their glorious history prior to, you know, 1996, they win big games. They haven't done a whole lot of that as of late, so hopefully he's the young man that can, you know, become that next great quarterback that they've had through their history. I, I think he's got the emotional and uh, disposition to do it. I love his leadership. I love his attitude. We actually visited him with him a few years ago when he came up to Sirius, and I remember I joking with him on the elevator. I wrote up, I says, "Hey, have they made that offense Dak friendly yet?" And he just grinned at me. He's like, "Yeah, right," you know. So. Uh, I know him a little bit, and I just know that uh, he's got the demeanor uh, to be an effective leader. But like I said, you know, you got to be injury-free first. Also, too, again, the family matters and things like that. And you know what? Just focus it on the football, get healthy for the season, and uh, things will take care of themselves. Exactly. Um, Sean, what do you say? I think, you know, Dak Prescott was able to kind of play down what happened with the calf injury, and you kind of hinted there at the fact that this non-throwing shoulder surgery might have been kind of more his idea in terms of it was just something that was bothering him, and maybe he took the initiative to seek out what his options could be. And, you know, when those options were laid out to him, it was with the thought in mind that he has so many months off right now, of course, where during the season, he didn't have that benefit, and he didn't even want to miss that Vikings game, but he did miss the one game, and the Cowboys still found a way to win, of course, and Mark and I have talked about that being kind of a high point of McCarthy's tenure so far to win with a, a backup quarterback in that moment, but, you know, Prescott played down the, the calf injury. He never wanted to let it be a big deal. The fact that the season ended the way it did with the Cowboys going on such a long stretch of playing so poorly on offense made it a bigger deal than, you know, perhaps he even would have liked and maybe medically there was more to it and more that he could have done or more even that this offseason, you know, he can do with it. But the fact that he hasn't uh, is a good sign. And now we just have to, you know, make sure that shoulder injury or whatever it was is taken care of 100%. And it sure, it sure seems like it will yeah, be. Yeah, I agree. Again, I think he, you know, he, he's focused on the team. You know, if, I'm sure if he has a say, in fact, there was another, there was a story that was circulating about maybe him having some influence on who he wants on the team. Why not ask your players, especially your team leader, your star quarterback, maybe who would he like to have around him? So uh, I'm sure the Joneses and Will McClay are definitely listening to Dak in terms of input, maybe, you know, who knows, maybe not to say, well, you draft this player, but I think we need, for example, hey, I could use some O-line help. Maybe we could use another, you know, uh, receiver if they cut the cord with Cooper and even Gallup. So uh, I think it's good to have not only him healthy, but also engaged in the process at least of saying, hey, if it's up to me, I wouldn't mind having a little more help on the O-line. Or if I'm going free agent, hey, this guy from this team looks awfully good. Let's try to make a run at him. So... I don't mind that. I don't want him being the GM, but, you know, I don't mind the input, put it that way. Yeah, and to some degree he's earned that, but you don't want to go overboard in oh, no. including players or it or 
in some cases, promising players input and then not asking for their input at all. But he's definitely somebody that should be consulted when it comes to retaining guys like Cedric Wilson and Michael Gallup and maybe even Dalton Schultz. I love Schultz. Yeah, yeah, Schultz is going to be an interesting, uh, interesting decision here for him. Franchise or, tag, you know, are they convinced Jarwin's healthy? Because you know, they, what a combo that would be. But again, those are those are those tough decisions, guys, and especially with your quarterback on the books for forty plus million a year, which is something that I've you know just to digress for a second. I've always said this: if you're going to pay the quarterback, fine. So if you do that, to me. Make the position salary cap exempt so you can pay your guy whatever you want and it don't count against the cap. Then you'd have more money to spend on a receiver or a left tackle or a D end. Or if they're not going to do that, then maybe cap the position, how much you could spend on a particular position. So in other words, you know, instead of 25% for some of these teams on their quarterback, maybe cap it at, 10 to 15% spread the money out that way. But again, I've been known to bark up a wrong tree every once in a while, but those that that's why I rail on, you know, pay the quarterback, pay the quarterback. Well, you got other guys you need to pay too. So that's just where I stood on that. Well, if you're able to make it through Kyler Murray's eight point font, all caps, uh, Twitter post, you know, he might reset the QB market here to the point where, <laughs> Dak Prescott looks like a bargain, but I was well, not able to read thing, that whole thing. Any time so. a guy gets paid, the market gets reset, and that yep. I remember when Tony Romo got his contract extension in 2012, and people said stuff like, "Wow, well, uh, no, it was 2013." Oh well, Troy Aikman never made that kind of money, and well, that was I'm how shame. many years ago? Yeah. And there's been inflation and everything, and then Joe mm-hmm. Flacco's the one who set the market. Now that's what you have to pay your franchise quarterback. And then when Matt Ryan got the same deal, oh, that's fine. Even though he only had, I think, one playoff win to his name by that point in 2013. But, that, oh, that's fine. Matt Ryan's yeah. carrying the biggest cap number in, I think, NFL yeah, history like going to this year. $50 million, right dollars, for goodness sakes. That yeah, one's going to be redone. Daniel numbers. Oh. right Cooper guys this um so Mike McCarthy at the combine when he was asked about addressing the penalties he basically said well the way that the CBA is structured and with all of your practice times and everything you can't just devote more time to fixing penalties you can but you have to borrow from say working on your down and distance or your red zone or so forth do you uh what do you make of that do you think the cowboys are going to get worse at red zone if they address their penalties you you would think though mark it's something that they have to they have to address this i mean I know it It almost sounds like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. That's the old saying, you know, when you're trying to take from one thing and give to another. Well, this is where if you are an impeccably organized coach, this should not be a concern. So, yeah, maybe that maybe that means, I don't know, five to ten minutes per day, whatever it is, less on the red zone. But then that's where you should be relying on your coordinators, where I think you got to have good relationships with them. And it's like, all right, well, but we need to focus in more on this mental aspect. So what causes the penalties? Is is it these guys that are not tuned in? You know, is it the cadence that Dak uses? Is the play coming in slow? I think all these things, guys, need to ultimately be corrected. So I think if there's cleaner communication, then maybe you don't have, you know, oh, I didn't hear the, I didn't hear the, the, the count. I didn't hear this. I didn't hear that. That's where I think you've got to be more mentally focused. And if that means, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, 
then so be it. Because you got to think you're still going to have time. You just got to be smarter in how you manage it, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, to me, it feels like penalties aren't something that you even should be devoting an entire you know practice period to. It doesn't feel like a natural thing that you would drill. I mean, it's part of the game, so just kind of let it happen when you work on whatever game situation you're working on, and then you know if these penalties are occurring, then you have to stop and address that the same way you would stop and address you know whatever else is happening during the practice of the play. So. You know, I think that's going to be part of it, and that's probably what McCarthy was alluding to when it comes to other things he'd like to coach and develop and see done. But, yeah, you know, you do have to have a plan for how you prepare, and the Cowboys are getting more and more into these analytics and GPS tracking data for how much players are moving around during practice and what that's to mean for their workload and stuff. And so then all of a sudden, if, you know, that number pops up too high and you have a player that, the analytics is telling you should be on the sideline. Well, then he's not working on his, you know, penalty aspect of the game. And if that player is a guy like, you know, Connor Williams who might not be here or Tyler Biotis or Io Collins, then that's probably not a very good thing considering those are some of your most penalized players or even yeah. Trayvon Diggs oh, gosh, out there. Connor in the Williams, I you know, I liked him coming out of college, but my gosh, he was a a flag machine for goodness sake. And then and then you know, watching the wild card game, first play Randy Gregory lines up in the neutral zone. I'm like, what is going on here? So, again, it comes back to being physically sharp and mentally sharp. Communication, more of that needs to be implemented here, I think, for this team to have success. Yeah, and to me, it just seems kind of like a – I don't want to say a cop-out, but that is kind of – that's something that all coaches say is – well, the CBA prevents us, and yeah. I just wish we had more time. And if only, and you got to budget your time and find so the forth. time. Yeah. Find it. That's exactly. right. Organized, right? I'm not yelling at you. I'm just saying I I, I hear that same stuff, but you know. Well, how does Bill Belichick find it? You know what I mean, right? Like how how did Sean McVay somehow found the time? Right. Because they run crisp practices. Notice those teams that have had degrees, degrees of success over the years. Well, plus in Belichick's case, he had the greatest quarterback of all time. But the point being is everything was done with a purpose. And that that is impeccable organization. Even up until like last year when they started having problems, Patriots were one of the least penalized teams in the league. That's because it's drilled into them, you know, not to commit penalties, at, at least the ones, you know, that are of the mind. I mean, if you got if you got to tackle a wide open receiver down the field because you stumbled out of coverage, okay, you take that one. But just the the mental ones are the real problem. I think again, like well coached up in the neutral zone. Yeah, right, right. I mean, you don't know where the neutral zone is. I mean, come on, you know, as wonderful a job as Dan Quinn did last year. You know, that side of the ball did have their share of flags, too. So, again, it's mental preparation, sharpness, finding the time, being more organized. You know what? If McCarthy knows Belichick, ask him. You know, ask the good coaches. How do you manage the time? You know, and I'm sure they would be actually willing to share because, you know, I I think they like to see everybody succeed here. So, you know, hey, this is how I do it. Yeah, and coaches also have kind of – fraternity going on and it so even though you think of it as the dallas cowboys it's really um the nfl coaches and the players and the team so there you've got these different factions that all work together and then that's how you as a fan get the sausage of the dallas cowboys but really you know, Mike McCarthy, same as, um, you know, Doug Peterson. They want to see more practice time. They want to find out ways to uh, to utilize that practice time. So, so it's, there's definitely some collaboration in that. Uh, they're definitely not going to give away. Hey, guys, stupid. how about this for a stat via footballdbdatabase.com? 
two of the the three least penalized teams last year, Rams, Bengals, Packers. Two of them met in the Super Bowl, and the other one was the top seed in the NFC. And lost and had to lose in the snow. Yeah. Yeah. What's that tell you? So I wrote an article about you know that topic at bloggingtheboys.com. You kind of expand out beyond the top 10 of uh, most penalized teams, and there's so many factors with that in terms of how coachable these penalties are to take them out of the game, and, of course, what time and point in the game did they happen and how many yards and all of those things. So that's why you get some disparity with, you know, Zig makes a great point that, yeah, the Bengals and the Rams can point to their success as – not being very penalized and having those efficient practices, we think, under Sean McVay and the Rams being Super Bowl champions. But, you know, you got some teams that are picking at the top of this draft, uh, you know, up there in the top 10, right next to other playoff teams as well. So, again, it comes down to game situations, which is another fair aspect of Mike McCarthy's coaching skills that's uh, up for criticism. And then it comes down to the way you can prepare for practice by. You know, I think when you talk about what a guy like McVay takes into practice, it's a game plan against his opponent that is so laser etched. It is so, you know, focused on here's exactly what we need to do this week to be exactly who we're playing against, the coverage and all that. And they go out and do it, whereas the Cowboys, you know, have been kind of criticized for their scouting ability in those areas and the self-scout and all that. So then all of a sudden, you know, McCarthy and Moore are showing up to practice and, McCarvey's having to start practice for kind of a major thing, like, you know, asking Cowan, you know, hey, why are we doing that play this week? You know, we know the defense is going to give us this look. And now it's a, uh, you know, instead of a moving on to the next play and keeping that tempo and an efficiency, and McCarthy used the term fever pitch at his combine press conference, you're, uh, you know, you're stopping things down much further to try to correct and coach and get to the point where McCarthy wants us to go. Yep. And, you know, just looking through a couple years, the Rams were also among the low penalties in 2020. New England was at the bottom. They actually were uh, a little bit high for them last year, but I think a lot of that was too is because you had a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones. But those are the those are the guys that teach the fundamentals. I mean, you hear Sean McVay talk. I think he recite every play in every game. That's how that's how in tune to the game he is. So that's why I think teams like that you know, more often than not are going to succeed because they're prepared well and they don't commit the penalties. Yeah, and it seemed like what Dallas's strategy with the penalties was we're going to eliminate the pre-snap penalties. Uh, so presumably your false starts, your um, illegal formations lining up in the neutral zone. Um and then we're just going to take our chances with the penalties that happen after the snap. And mm-hmm. that was the route they went, and it kind of bit them because then Connor Williams developed a profile as someone who holds. Now, you, I'm sure the refs for every crew call holding the same way in everybody's uniform, but the coaches – they know to get on to their uh, re- to their official that's by them all the time, the whole game on the sideline. Hey, watch number 52. He's holding. He's ho- Look, he's holding. He's holding. And then, like I said, he's built a profile, and now coaches know how to chew the official's ears to get them to look for some of the frailties in the Cowboys' post-snap uh, execution of plays. And I think that that's what did it. And I mean, I've never seen a, an offensive lineman have double digit holding penalties as a starter. I mean, again, and he, and he did, he got benched for Connor McGovern, but I, I think Dallas was just going so wide open that they figured with the amount of yards that they were generating and the amount of impact plays that they were having, that they could compensate for giving up all of those free yards. But true to the name of the podcast, 
hidden yardage. I mean, that's the stuff the great coaches look for. And why Belichick is the way he is is because he comes from the Bill Parcells coaching tree. I mean, that was his yep. thing was field position and hidden yardage. And I mm-hmm. I feel like Dallas just got, uh, you know, they felt that they could just always get themselves out of the red because of their big play offense. Absolutely. Yeah. So you could just rely on that and, you know, and, and maybe, you know, take your chances that way. Now, back in the day, you know, and I even asked Tom Flores this a long time ago, the Pro Football Hall of Fame coach with the Raiders, you know, because I remember having him on the show one time and talking about, you know, the Raiders were among the most penalized teams in the league. But I looked the stat up. I'm like, Tom, you guys won a Super Bowl and you were the most penalized team in the league. How'd you do it? He says, I don't know. So I think it's just one of those things where you're, you're hoping you've got, <clears throat> in the, excuse me, in, in so much case like the Raiders did, they had so many big players or big plays making big plays and they overcame that. In other words, yeah, you know, we maybe had 10 or 11 penalties in a game, but we hung around enough and we knew in the end we weren't going to have the penalties. We didn't screw around. That's why they were able to be successful. But it, it can be kind of a, you know, a, a slippery slope if you let it be. But again, like we, I pointed out with the stats, they don't lie. Teams like the Rams, playoff team, Super Bowl champ this year, Patriots, perennial team. Again, coached in the fundamentals, coached mentally well. That's why those teams continue to succeed because they have it drilled into them to be disciplined. Yeah, and maybe one of the reasons why they were the most penalized team and won the Super Bowl, uh, I mean, that's a sticky situation there, Zig. Yeah, but again, you had, you know, Marcus Allen, Hall of Fame back. You had big play receiver about time, by the way, he finally got in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us as Cliff Branch. And, you know, that, that was a different era, too. Let's not forget where it seemed as though even after they changed the rule to um, illegal contact after five yards down the field, the game was played a lot differently then too. So maybe what was penalties then, maybe not now, or whatever the case, the, the style of officiating. But again, the Raiders, I think they were probably more of the exception because they had so many guys used to play in so many big games. That's why they won those championships maybe in spite of being a penalized team. Right, because when you've got someone like Gene Upshaw, who was on... Right, Art Shell. Yeah, yeah, well, those guys were on those Madden teams and the 76 Super Bowl team, and just always being close, they knew what a big game felt like. So they probably had better command of what to do during crunch yep. time as opposed to some of the teams they went against during Flores' time, like the... Los Angeles, like I says, most people say San Diego Chargers when I mean Los Angeles. I just did the Los Angeles Chargers for San Diego. That's the first time in history anyone's done that. Yeah, that is a first typo. They belong back in San Diego, by the way. uh, Yes. uh, I'll tell you one, Zig. My late father, he would get so confused because he was born in 45. He would get so confused watching the Colts played Baltimore and oh, yeah. the Rams playing St. <laughs> Louis. I mean, I mean the Cardinals playing St. Louis. It was just, right. yeah, it was, it goofed him up. Yeah, it would goof up. I think anybody, you know, with, with all of that too. And knowing that the Ravens are the old Cleveland Browns and then they're playing the, you know, reincarnated Cleveland Browns. So yeah, I, it is free. Yeah. I thought that the Ravens though, um, that was a little interesting because you had Johnny Unitas say, what do I care about the Colts? I played for Baltimore and he's in the ring of honor in Baltimore. In the Ravens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I think too, the Baltimore Colts stats are kept with the Colts record books. And then, you know, you've got like Deacon Jones when the Rams were in St. Louis, you had Merlin Olson, all these guys in their ring of honor, which was like, huh? they never played there. 
you know, like Larry Wilson or, you know, Jim Hart, Terry Metcalf, any of those great St. Louis Cardinals. How are they doing there in Arizona? But you realize it's all part of that franchise. So, Exactly. And but, but that's something about the Cowboys is they have had the same just identity and everything since 1960. And you can always count on them. But this, uh, well, can this you... is what I mean. This season, though, Zig, it this offseason, it seems like fans are sour on this team. And I ask you this again because, I, I like I said, at least I would say you go back at least to Danny White, okay? Oh, I go back further than okay. that. I'm not like Staubach. Okay, yeah. so, yeah, and I'm sure – that you probably subscribed to the Dallas Cowboys Star Weekly. Oh, right? absolutely. And you probably read yeah. even Susie Culber's articles in there when she would guest ah. post in there. So that's what I'm saying. You go, but you've been around this team, the fan base of this team, a long time. Is this is the black pill energy that the Cowboys fans on? Is that at an all-time high? What do you think? You mean in terms of being sour? Yes, is it, is yes. It... I mean downcast, okay. negative, okay. Debbie Downer. Right. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, I I would I don't know if it would be at the all-time because I I think Mark, unfortunately, I I think people have come to this resignation that. Jerry just seems more interested in filling the stands, living off the team's past, and, you know, not enhancing it. Now, still, I mean, gosh, they're the most valuable, maybe the most valuable sports franchise, at least in the NFL, maybe all the world. And I always say to myself, geez, how much more would they be worth if they were actually winning Super Bowls again? So, I think there is a almost resignation that until Jerry leaves or if Steven takes over the team, something changes. He says he wants to win, and we saw glimpses of it last year, but I, I still think the, the real ebb of the franchise, I mean, I'm still not sure anything compares to when you know, they went uh, three and thirteen and eighty-eight, and then that was when all the buzz started. When you know you fired Tom Landry, you know Jerry was the villain in that. Although actually, Bum Bright probably should have done it sooner. Tex Schramm says I should have actually done it, but I didn't have the heart because he's my friend for twenty-nine years. You know, and then they let Gill ultimately go too. So that was still probably the ugly mark where I think now there's almost sort of a sense of complacent resignation. And until you see the ownership and the upper management maybe start cracking down in terms of, you know, there's there's this uh, sort of narrative going around, too, that these players are coddled. That goes back to that discipline thing that we were talking about. If we see more discipline, more focus, and more of the things you look for for what championship teams do, then I think, um, you know, things will look up. But again, it just seems as though Jerry's content for whatever reason. It's his team. He can do what he wants with it, and he still has the fan base because a lot of us hang on to think that there are better days ahead, which I think there are. So I, I, I try to stay as a positive person. But again, until he maybe needs to make changes or maybe relinquishes more of his power. Let Steven or even Will McClay run more of this team. You know, I would have even been on board if Troy Aikman would have came on board like as a senior advisor because he really cares. I think there's that hope that something like that happens real soon. Um, and last year, again, for, you know, a decent part of the season, they showed that they came back, they were a playoff team. And again, with some tweaks and better health and better discipline, Maybe 2022 turns out to be even a bigger and better year. So I don't think it's uh, the sour and negative is at an all-time high. I still think that goes back to 89 
when it really bottomed out. And hopefully that just never happens again. So I'm, I'm optimistic that hopefully things will turn out in 2020. Well, I want to throw this in there before I get Sean's thoughts. Um, that 88, 89 though, um, they were looking, they were trying to sell the team in 88 during the 88 season. Yep. So you had that as a backdrop of Steve Pelour taking over for Danny White as the starting quarterback, even though he was a backup. And Dallas just goes on this horrendous losing streak throughout the middle of the year. And so it just really all felt like it was coming to an end. And then the nadir of 1-15 in in 89 with – you know, this wild catter from Arkansas and this college coach and this $16 million quarterback who can't win a game. Um, yep. Yeah, the, those were very dark times, which is why I think it's funny when guys say stuff like, uh, I, this, you know, Dallas loses in the wild card playoffs. This is the worst I've ever seen. And I've been a fan yeah. since 73, you know. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, you know, we've talked about how, you know, I don't have as wide of a lens, obviously, to go all the way back into Cowboys history. But to me, it's really interesting that we're talking about, you know, is this the worst it's going to get for Cowboys fans? And yet the front office is talking about, you know, doing the same things they've always done. And we talked way at the beginning of the show about how, if they stay to that on that path, you know, the names that you could bring back you will get you pretty excited. So it's interesting, you know, oh, they're going to prioritize re-signing their own guys. Well, I think a lot of Cowboys fans would be excited if that, if that does in fact mean you're going to somehow find a way to, you know, kick this thing down the, down the road and kind of take a page out of the Rams book maybe and find a way to go keep Randy Gregory and Amari Cooper and maybe a Michael Gallup and, you know, squeeze all these things in there. And then Zig even mentioned having uh, outside free agents from this past season really contribute, which is kind of a new concept for the Cowboys. And maybe even there's room to find a couple of those guys. So that might be a very glass half full look at it. But, you know, everybody seems to be down because all the Cowboys are talking about is doing the same old, same old. But, you know, maybe fortunately to their benefit, the names that they have a chance to go sign here are actually ones that are really going to help you. And, and then you get to go into a draft where you've done well finding starters as well. And it still was a 12-win team last year. So, you know, there's enough here to, uh, I don't think, even be anywhere close to an all-time low. Um, you know, it's fine to be down. It's fine to be low on them. It's fine to think that they're very far from getting over the hump of reaching an NFC Championship game, as you know, as luck might be a factor in that as well. But, yeah, an all-time low seems like just a little bit of a stretch to me. The, yeah, I would agree. They they are there are going to be distractions as usual with the Cowboys um, because they're America's team. They're the most watched, most consumed sports franchise in the world. Um, what do you do? You think that the Cowboys will be able to weather all these distractions? Of is Mike McCarthy a lame duck coach? You got Sean Payton as the shadow coach. Can Kellen Moore take the step in year four? What about Dak's shoulder? And, you know, I'm on our own. Yeah, and also, too, you know, there's also that <clears throat> that ESPN thing that came out about, you know, the longtime PR guy, Rich Dalrymple, and if there's going to be any further, I guess, ramifications from that. Rich, obviously, you know, re retired recently, too. So I don't know if they, they ever resolve. I know there was the lawsuit that got resolved and everything like that, but that just adds upon the said distractions, too. But you know what? Also, I think part of it, I think Jerry likes it that way because the Dallas Cowboys are never boring. So in some ways, Mark and Sean, I think he actually likes the limelight, the so-called distractions like you very intelligently laid out, because I think that's part of the mystique. If the Dallas Cowboys are just laying low in the weeds or not making news, at least positive news, that is, you know, then they're boring. So I think they kind of enjoy this. I, I really do. 
And uh, I I agree completely. They they're going to find a way to stay in the headlines, and you know, in the off season, making headlines isn't easy, and we all know that as members of the media. So if there is something easy there to grab, good or bad, about a team that gets as much gets as much attention as the Cowboys, it's yep. it's just how it's going to go. And Jerry knows that, and like you said, he probably embraces it too. Definitely. And again, you know, they are America's team and they still draw the eyeballs. You know, you look at any of the the highest rated games from last year, or I would imagine, I think uh, the Thanksgiving game against the Raiders was the highest rated. So, um, you know, then you've got the other a couple of the other games, too. And whether you like them, you love them, you know, they still draw the eyeballs because people love to either see them spectacularly fail or. They'll do something that'll say, wow, did you see that? So that's why uh, the Cowboys, even though they haven't been to a championship game in 25 years, it hasn't been all bad. There have been some playoff years. 07, I thought, was a Super Bowl-caliber team. I thought the the, uh, Dez caught it year against the Packers. That would have been, I think, close to a Super Bowl year. So it's not like they've been totally terrible, but, again, they've come up short from what the standard has been so ridiculously high prior to the mid-90s. Yeah. Go ahead. Zig, go ahead and tell us where uh, football fans from around the country and around the world even can uh, listen to you this week. Appreciate the uh, mention there, guys. Of course, do the uh, updates on the different sports channels, Wednesday, Thursdays, Fridays, at the top of each hour. You can hear those on Channel 88. And then uh, my show, let's see. Normally, it's 2 to 6 Eastern Saturday and Sundays in the offseason, but for this weekend, it'll be a noon to 4 uh, after the combine coverage from Indianapolis. I'll be on with Alex Marvez Saturday, and then this Sunday, 2 to 6 Eastern, uh, we'll be with former NFL quarterback and Dallas Cowboys quarterback Ryan Leafs. So, and you can always get me on Twitter at Zig Fracassi, Z-I-G-F-R-A-C-A-S-S-I. It's been great having you on the Hidden Yardage podcast we really appreciate it, Zig. Sean, where can folks find you? At Sean Martin NFL, so you can find Zig and I on there. Always happy to uh, talk with other Cowboys fans. You can find me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. You've been listening to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. So there it is. Yeah.